On the spot, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we hold and record this podcast, the Turrbal and Yagara people. We would like to pay respects to Elders past and present and extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who listen to the podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to On The Spot. I have a guest for finally after after much organisation. Today I have Evelyn Legred and... Uh, so El- Evelyn is a Brisbane-based cello player and educator. Um, Evelyn has played with lots of different orchestras, such as um, the Queensland Ballet. She has played for Disney, National Geographic, Eminem. Wow, that's that's very cool. That's very impressive. <laughs> my housemate is going to be my housemate Kristen is going to be so impressed. She's, nice. She loves Eminem. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, uh, she's performed with Vera Blue, Smith Street Band, um, Blissonesso, um, and Evelyn studied at the Queensland Conservatorium and is originally from Bundaberg, which is very cool, um, and has done lots of different degrees and <laughs> – is now you're now doing postgrad for uh, masters of teaching. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. And I heard that you um, last year won like or like was nominated for a, a quite a cool award um, to do with writing things. Is that right? I might not have that correct. <laughs> <laughs> to do with writing things. <laughs> uh... I'm uh, <laughs> writing so much strong suit. I did. I did get an award for um, um, oh, for ASME Australian Society oh, yes. Music Education. That's for, so cool. Um, outstanding music education graduate. That was oh, rad. Yeah, I'm going to the ASME conference on <gasps> on next week. Oh, in Sydney. Yeah. Oh, lucky you. Oh, yeah. so that's amazing. Wow. And yeah. I, if my, so my mum is a Kadai educator as well. Oh, and I was, nice. I was talking about you with her because she loves it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely, if she listens to this, she'll be so excited. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Well, um, <laughs> there's, there's like three major things that I desperately wanted to go to this holidays. One was the ASME conference in Sydney. Yeah. Oh, looks so good. My friend um, Carla is going to be presenting. Oh, I really want to see what she has to say. Um, oh. She's got some fascinating things. Definitely go check that out. Yeah. Um, there's the Maribor Music Conference, which oh. is also rad. Um, and then there's the um, Cuskelly School of Music uh winter school like the the Kodai winter school yeah um yeah. in Tenterfield oh um, that's so cool yeah but luckily I get to go to Tenterfield so Yay. Like, yeah the Kodai epicenter of of June July I guess and I'm yeah. gonna be teaching there yeah that's so cool yeah. it's so like it's very very exciting I remember my yes. I think my mum was going to go to the one in Tenterfield and then she I think COVID happened the year that she was meant to go uh, yeah. but she was also going to present at a 
a conference for Kadai as well. Uh, she's like absolutely obsessed. Um, yeah, so- the Kodai people are. <laughs> <laughs> she she's dumb. I because I remember one year I did the summer school with her um, <sighs> when I was sixteen, and she was doing the. I think it was the primary education, and uh-huh. now she's done her um, childhood education, early childhood, early childhood yeah. education, and then I think she's done her secondary as well. So Holy moly! I know she's just blasted through them all, and I'm. It's so impressive, and she's That's incredible. I have a question in relation to that. Yeah. Um, actually, well, since we're on the topic of it, may I may as well start with this question. Um. I'm curious because I find that my mum finds Kadai really beneficial for like all sorts of classroom teaching. Do you think that, do you think it is really beneficial for kids who are neurodiverse or who are also disabled and, you know, that need to access sorts of different um, ways of doing musical activities or mm-hmm. understanding musical activities because from my knowledge of what my mum does, like this is a, an extreme, but she made a musical twister one time uh-huh. and the kids absolutely love that because it was so engaging. And mm-hmm. I think just like that aspect, especially for me, would have been would be so fun and so helpful mm-hmm. because it's like such like a, a visualized version of doing music. Yeah. And yeah. I just wanted to like see what you, what you thought about that. Cause I, I thought it was a really interesting thing. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> man, that is such a good question. And I have <laughs> like about a million answers. <laughs> and they've all come to the front of my brain at the same time. Um, <laughs> Um, I'll just quickly sift through them and and try and put them in some type of cohesive thought. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So for I've noticed a lot of people that aren't really that into Kodai or people that have kind of touched on it or have had small experiences, you know, the ones that like maybe aren't that convinced. um, Mm. I've had a lot of feedback from those teachers or those ex-students um, saying, you know, it's it's too bizarre or it's too rigid or it's too strict um, because a lot of the sequencing is really, really, really structured. So mm. I could see how they could feel that. Um, so for that, it wouldn't initially make sense to be – as accessible for neurodiverse people or even like capability diversity or physical diversity or, you know, intellectual diversity. Um, However, the more I learn how to teach it and the more I um, learn from the method itself, Mm. the more I notice just how inclusive it is um like I just find it so incredibly inclusive and um caters to so many different things like for instance singing so in the classroom it's singing and 
it's like it's one of the the biggest points of Kadai that we learn every time we do teacher training that singing is the most diplomatic form of music making. It it doesn't matter um, what your income is or your socioeconomic background. You're not got. You don't need to invest in an instrument to be able to do this or that. And um, you just you just use your voice. You just use your body. You use what you've got. Um, so from the get go everybody's on an equal playing field yeah and I love that I love that so much um I I think that the structure of the sequence of learning I think is really really extraordinary for um neurodiverse thinkers and learners because you know a lot of us we need the structure yeah <laughs> we need to know what's coming we need to know like we need to know all the steps along the way but mm. also it's constantly revisiting and and checking for knowledge and filling gaps so if you know if you ever take a left turn or a right turn somewhere where you're not meant to you're always coming back and and um and seeing things again in the same perspective or from a different perspective or visually or orally or kinesthetically. Um, there's, yeah, it's, so that I think it is is very inclusive. It does help a lot of people engage in music when maybe they wouldn't be able to otherwise. Yeah. And I love that. And then from, um, from a personal perspective of learning Kodai style music education um when I go when (laughs) especially summer camp I know you know how intense it is like it's so intense but when I'm there at summer camp or summer school and I'm involved in the learning activities and the classes and the singing I kind of go like into a trance and I go I was like I've never focused like that ever before yeah oh it's so it's so good though like in terms of it's very um I don't think I've ever done a camp that's like it in a way. Even myself doing, um, I guess like orchestral camps are sort of the same, but they definitely are more so in like one way of doing things, like just orchestral playing. Um, Whereas like Kadai camps, like when I went to the summer school, I was doing chamber music and I was doing, I was doing, singing and I was doing all sorts of different things and it was so good in terms of just like not having to you know worry about like one thing the entire time and like it does keep you so focused it's actually remarkable and everyone finishes the two weeks with like a very important part of that that course is like whatever they're doing like finishing with like accreditation and like primary um or secondary or early childhood it's really it's really very cool (laughs) it's very impressive i love it i'm one of those hardcore (laughs) kodai cult members (laughs) deep deep in it and i love it and the feelings that you get when you you do it it's just it's a lovely thing to do and it's community it's music making it's yourself and oh it is it is i the the impact I know that it has in terms of I my mum of course is very very into it and she also sort of branches out into other methods as well of music education um, but she is like so loves the way that things are structured and 
It really reflects in, um, like, because she does a lot of choral conducting and a lot of the choirs that she teaches, those kids, I feel that, like, if they were doing it maybe a different way, they wouldn't benefit from it as much because they don't have, like, they don't start with that knowledge of, like, sulfur and things mm-hmm. like that. And, like, these kids, like, I think she took them to Sedford and, they just excelled in those categories. And not that that's a marker of it, but, like, just the amount of, like, achievement that they felt with, like, completing that sort of stuff and that they were all doing it together. She yeah. said she said it was, like, the, like, some of the most rewarding things are seeing those kids, like, so excited that they uh, achieved it. And I was like, that's so wholesome. It's so wholesome. It is Imagine really wholesome. a bunch of kids enjoying singing together and and it's like yeah which is i think why it's so beneficial it's just like starts from starts from singing and yeah that yeah like i hadn't even really considered the fact that yeah it is such an even playing field when it comes to singing and everyone is invited to be doing the thing that everyone can do um Because everyone Absolutely. is born with a, a singing voice, essentially. Yeah, um, it is. It is a very rewarding thing. I remember. I remember even doing it now at university when I have done it, like being able to do like sing and play at the same time. Oh. Such a mind bend. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so, so hard. It is so hard. I thought that was it was just me. I had to spend like two or three hours like trying to get one thing right. Um and, and I realized it wasn't just me. But yeah, it's and then it gets harder as you go up in levels. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. Um <laughs> I remember the very first time James introduced a sing and play and he's like all right by tomorrow you need to be able to do this and just quickly do it before class or show me a video or something of you doing it and I'm like tomorrow (laughs) 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 just thinking that was like going to be the assignment for the whole week it's like oh no we're going to do many of these a day oh yeah (laughs) heaps of them it's insane I remember that um we have a uh I haven't exactly found a lot of like oh well because I haven't done a lot of research to music education myself because I'm not doing it at the moment but I just found it to be so oh I just found it to be so helpful for my brain and it really demystified the world of I find music theory like writing theory really really difficult yeah. Um, because I can't do maths. Um, yeah. So I feel like four-part harmony is like doing algebra. And for some people that might be really simple, but like at university level, like, oh, my goodness, it gets so difficult. It's hard. It is really hard. <laughs> and I found that just like like I remember I was talking to a university lecturer and he was like, you know, I think – because the course had changed and he was like, I think now that the course has changed to where we do more on the piano, you will find that quite beneficial. And I was like, I will find this so beneficial because I, this is how my brain works. And when I, for example, when I compose, that's how I work. I go to the piano and do stuff. And it's, yeah, I just found when I did Kadai, it was so good at sort of 
making it seem so much less difficult than it was. Yes. Um, and yeah. so much sort of not absolutely terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> in a way. But yeah, it's it's I I do love Kadai. It's 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 great. Yeah. Um, right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> um so I have some sort of university specific to your like to when you were doing your bachelor's degree um so um so one of the questions i've got is like when you were at university sort of what did your practice sessions look like at the beginning of your bachelor's compared to now um it's a bit of an open-ended question but Mm -hmm. more more so just like because i find when i started my bachelor's i was just so so all over the shop, of course, um, mm-hmm. had no clue what was in store in terms of practice. Um, and then now it's completely changed, of course. Um, but since, especially since you've done, uh, how many degrees have you done so far? <laughs> um, Four? Five? I don't know. Actually, uh-huh. I'm on my fourth Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well done. I, I still have to get through my bachelor's. So. <laughs> I think that's the hardest one. It Personally, is, it is quite difficult. I think yeah. the amount of stuff you have to do is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, the My practice as the same as me as a person mm. um, at the beginning of this university journey um, is like a a complete polar opposite person to how I practice now and the person that I am now. Um, mm. So I was diagnosed with ADHD very, very late in yeah. the game, um, only a couple of years ago, so wow. 36 years old, I think. Wow. So I had finished the bachelor, the grad cert, and the first master's degree all without a clue at all um, that wow. I was neurodiverse and only um, three quarters of the way through the second master's degree did I discover it. And, <sighs> um, yeah, so lots of changes there. Yeah. And and that has changed my practice a lot. Um, at the beginning of the bachelor degree, um, I was completely useless at practice. I was completely useless at any of this whole university thing. I just, like, I struggled so much. Um, talking about theory, I failed one of the theory courses I felt like I failed all the theory courses at least once, but I failed one of them. I think it was three times. Um, It was just, and I didn't get any like academic probation or anything. I think I just slipped under the radar for that. Um, But I just, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't. And when it came to practicing, um, it's just like, okay, if I'm not practicing, then I must, I must be bad. You have to be practicing all the time, you know, that feeling, that guilt. And then I'd sit down and go, okay, every lesson starts with a scale, so I must do my scales. And I'd get halfway through the first scale and just already be done. 
yeah. Um, you know, and the scales that, that we were doing, you know, we're doing each note, four octaves each note um, for a semi-breathe at 54 beats per minute. And so you're holding each note for like, oh. like a lot more than four seconds each and it's like, oh, and it's so draining and so boring. And I don't know, like, how I even passed any of these things um, performance-wise. Mm. Um, it, it was mainly just hope and a prayer and probably some last-minute fear, um, mm. just trying to get stuff done. Um, and when did it change? There was in my fourth year, I ended up dropping out because it was all very, very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, it was when, you know, things were getting really big and really heavy. Um, yeah. And I was also trying to work a million jobs and do a million gigs to make enough yeah. money. And I had no time management skills at all. Um, and so in the end, I just burnt out and I'm like, I'm done. Can't deal with this. Um, and I had some time off and I went and did all sorts of random things. Until it finally came around, I'm like, all right, I have to, I have to at least get a get a degree. And this one, I'm almost finished. If I just go in there and you know really think about the difficulties that I know are coming up, maybe I can kind of plan for this. So mm-hmm. I think this is where I started thinking about how I learn and thinking about how I think a lot of meta meta stuff going on yeah Um, yeah. and so I started planning like financially how much do I have to work to be able to get through how many hours can I put into this all right it's probably best that I go part-time um and so I'd go I was just doing I think one or two subjects at a time and really putting in that time and that effort and finishing each project that's like big flashing thing for me like oh if you started it just finish it that's the hard bit you can you can do it you know you can do it yeah you just you just have to don't give up just persist keep going (laughs) and that was where things started to change for me and um I started getting sevens for the first time. That was really awesome. Um, I never, I didn't get a, a, a seven for any of my performances at that point, but I did finish and it felt great. Um, and then I went and did a whole bunch of other random non-music things in my life. That, like, that's that's another book to write. <laughs> and then, and I came back to Australia with a husband and a baby. Um, <laughs> that's the end. That's it. You can fill in whatever <laughs> you want with your imagination um, there. Um, and it, it, it kind of just came around again. Like, all right, I. Um, to get a job, I probably should do something musical. I should probably be teaching, uh, you know, working in the retail stores and what's not. And then it just, it was just this persistent nagging thing that I should do that master of performance. I should just do it. Mm. All my friends are doing it. Um, it would give me more credibility in everything that I do, being able to play and being able to teach. Um, and I gave it so much consideration and thought Um knowing how stressful the process is, how much I struggled with certain things. Um, and now with this little baby that 
needed all of my time and, and my attention. Mm. How do I fit in this thing as efficiently as possible um, and in a way that I'm not going to be staying up all night, every night, stressing out about stuff? And that's that's when the, the very, very meticulous practice planning started. Mm. Um, so I guess I guess all of that was foreshadowing this part of the story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so this part, I guess, is it was all about deciding how much practice is the right amount for me mm. to achieve the goals and then what do I have to do in those practice sessions to be able to achieve those goals? Yeah. Um and then I came up with all of these things and, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to it. Yeah. I feel like I, I remember I had a friend of mine once. I was studying with her and I was writing quite a big assignment and she was like, you were so, like, detailed with your planning. Like, how is that? And I'm like, my friend, my friend, my good friend who also has ADHD, she was like, it's the only way we can do it. Like, it's the only way yeah. that it's going to get done. Um, and so I feel like at one point for me, especially with practice, planning out my practice just became like a new norm, which was yeah. kind of nice because at the beginning of my degree, it was definitely not like that. I just kind of waltzed into a practice room and was like, what are we going to do today? Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I had someone once tell me that that's actually okay, which is a nice way of thinking about it. Um, but yeah, I definitely found like the planning is really important. Like mm. just, I I still plan like my practice sessions most of the time, unless I'm doing like thirty minutes and I like need to, like I know what I need to get through in a quick span of time. Um, yeah, I can actually get through a lot in that amount of time. Whereas, like in the past, I would not have been. I'd be spending like thirty minutes on like like one piece of technical work, which is great, but also not very efficient. No, it's like it's not great efficient. to do those deep dives, but it but is. there's other stuff that's got to get done. It is, yeah. And I remember I, I remember I had this really big sort of like, not realisation, I remember one time my teacher was talking to me about practice and she was like, um, she was saying something like, you know, uh, you don't, have to spend like after like doing like a whole year worth of like fixing a lot of things technically when I started my degree and I'm still fixing a lot technically but like you know that sort of like those fundamental technical work years yeah <laughs> that yeah. everyone like dreads and then you know you get through it and you're like oh my gosh I really needed that yeah. um, and then so, like, she's like, you don't need to be spending so much time on technical work anymore. Like, you do need to spend time on it, of course, mm-hmm. but you don't need to spend, like, 20 minutes on one, like, type of bowing because that's yeah. intense. And I was like, okay, that's nice. <laughs> Thank you for releasing me. <laughs> Thanks for releasing me from from this. And, yes. like, 
I knew that it would get specific in terms of like planning things when it needed to. Oh, hello, Misty. <laughs> she's, she's, oh, little ears came up. Oh, it was yeah. so cute. Um, but yeah, no, that's it's. <gasps> I, have, I have something. Sorry, I just thought of a thing. Um, I have this one. Um, okay, for people that are listening on a podcast, they don't know at all what just happened. I just pulled out a book. Um, there you go. You can see. Oh wow! Um, this is at one assignment. (laughs) I didn't know it was going to get this big. Um. I don't even know how many pages it is, but it's the thickest of the ring binders full of um, pages. And this subject was called Approved Practice. And I took the subject because I just wanted to practice and get marked on it. Um, But it turned out that... This <laughs> this course was not going to be. They're not going to give it for free. Of course, um, you had to um, you had to structure this practice. So you had to you know have a goal at the end of the semester, and yeah. you had to you know journal and track your progress, and then reflect on the you know the goal. Um, and I guess like I. I went pretty deep with this one. I didn't realize how far I was going. I probably didn't need to go this far. I did get a seven for this, so like oh, I'm well, really proud of it. That's great, and it's such a a big assignment from what it looks like. It's like yeah, so that's, um, that's great. That's so cool. This one, this kind of, I feel like is um, how would I explain it? Kind of my my little reflective holy grail on how to practice and also probably just like a diagnosis there in itself of ADHD. There's so many interesting (laughs) things that like all the red flags are there. Um, (laughs) So um, I, this was a 10 credit point subject. Wow. So I decided to dedicate 10 hours a week to practice um, whereas the performance subjects that usually happen, they were in postgrad, they're 20 credit points. So for those, I would dedicate 20 hours a week to practice and divide it up. This was 10, so I went that way. Um, and each week, I, I'll, I'll show you and try and describe it at the same time. So each week I had a little table. Wow. And I would list down the side what the, like the repertoire was or the goals. Oh, and then cool. for each day, how many minutes I'd do of each. And they're just little chunks, 10, 15 minutes here and there. But they add up to 10 hours of practice a week. And I also included yoga, running and cycling because I just, I wanted to, I had an inkling that exercise was going to affect my big goals. Yeah. Um, and my big goals for this were um, like the, the bigger overarching goals were um, fixed intonation, um, focus and performance anxiety. Yeah. And like, I I read these um, journal entries every now and then and I'm like, oh, that is like the most ADHD focus reflection ever, (laughs) Um, you know, and it's because I've written it all down in here so I can can look back at these things and go, oh, okay, I was really, really anxious about this thing and I was really unfocused and it is outside of what – 
you know, the, I don't want to say normal, it's outside of the normal focus mm. standards or performance anxiety standards. Um, yeah, and and I wrote everything down. I got in, I went and played for string workshop and cello workshop as many times as I could so that I could get in and reflect on those performances. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and it was it's just really interesting. I reflected on each of the performances, like professional performances that I had at the time too, and how they went, and um, you know how was the focus during that? How was the performance yeah. anxiety? Um, so I was able to kind of monitor how they were improving or degrading, depending on how I was practicing and what strategies I was using, what the exercises I was doing that week were um i also um pulled up articles and studies and things to reflect on for the week things like um articles on yo-yo ma and it's like tom and talking ah. about anxiety yeah like really fascinating things and I'm, that's so I'm really, cool yeah i'm really thankful that um these things these guidelines or um suggestions were given for this assignment because I did learn so much from it. I was able to keep digging further and further. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there you go. There's um, 12 weeks of <laughs> writing of an assignment. <laughs> 12 weeks of my life in into an assignment. <laughs> such an ep- like, I feel so bad for who had to read this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I always, I remember, um, talking with one of the honours conveners at my university about um, about what happens when they look at your uh, like final thesis, and the the thing is that uh, like they can only spend like you know like all these students in fourth year like fretting about the fact that maybe they're only going to look at my thesis for like five minutes and give me a grade basis off that and i'm like oh i feel like it's slightly like it is a little bit of the reality but they are a bit nicer than that but you know yeah it is it is it is that is a tricky thing but wow um a large piece of work and especially I feel like I'd find dedicating that much documentation time quite difficult because I forget things. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, I, actually, I learned I learned about those difficulties in my undergrad in the bachelor degree <laughs> when <laughs> I did all of these pedagogy subjects with Elizabeth Morgan, and the assessments. A lot of the assessments were to reflect on the lecture of that week, and then pull in extra stuff and week by week we had to build this portfolio and at the end present the portfolio mm. and I just take the worst notes because I don't know how to take notes um <laughs> and then I get to like a couple of days before this portfolio was due and I open it up like week three this is me I am like, the same. And, like, and I couldn't remember like there's no way I could remember um Oh yeah, so I I learned from those experiences yeah. for these types of projects, like build the time in um, into that practice session to write it down and yeah. do it. Then don't do a single 
other thing until you finish writing it down enough so that future you knows what it means and is not cranky with past you yes (laughs) yes Yes. i think about the amount of time i spend like annoying my future self and it's quite hilarious (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah. future Sophia is going to be very annoyed at that, but she can yeah. deal with it. That's a later problem. <laughs> um, so it's sort of like um, uh, another sort of question. I've got a few, a few, but I guess some of them sort of we've talked about them already um, in different ways. Um, I guess um, uh Oh, yes. So, um, sort of a, uh, a bit of a jump a different way. Um, Mm -hmm. you said that, so your, um, is it your son has ADHD as well? Yeah. 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 And, um, I was just curious, like I, from a parent perspective, because I only have information myself from my mum when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I was just curious, like um, as a parent, how have you seen that playing an instrument has benefited him as a person overall? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't- Great question. Um, well, he has ADHD and dyslexia. They're a very oh. common comorbidity um, yeah. or set of comorbidities. Um, and I think the music playing um, has drastically affected both. Yeah. Um, so at the beginning when he first started learning, um, it was it was a bit of a push. So he'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play the violin because you can, and if you can, I can. Um, <laughs> but, I did, like, didn't actually want to do any of the work. So, <laughs> you know, it's hard to get get the, get the kids practising, right? Um, yeah. But he, he had a couple of experiences um, that just got him hooked, like hooked on music. Oh. Um yeah, and, and one of them being uh, Cod I went to school, yeah, of course, wow. and then he, he came home and he was flying. He just was, There's we don't need to ask him to practice anything. We more oh. than anything have to tell him to stop and it feels oh. bad, but it's it's pretty intense in our house. Isn't that, isn't that so <laughs> wonderful though? Like he's so yeah. passionate about it. Oh, oh it's gorgeous. Um Another thing was the Western Suburbs String Orchestra and just yeah. being with other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, yeah, the first time he went, he was playing cello and he just loved it so much. And he came home and he pulled out his music and he just started playing and I didn't have to ask him to practice. I think it was the very first time I didn't ask him to practice Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, all the kids can play this. I can play it too. And he just started and that was it. Um, and he's, he, uh, how do you explain it? He's just got a really, really, really strong um, reward circuitry um, <laughs> thing going on with playing musical instruments. Yeah. So it's one of his main um 
sensory seeking activities, I guess. Ah, um, yeah. yeah so cool. It, when he's like really in a in a place in his head, he'll probably have his Nintendo Switch um, on his music stand and a musical instrument. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. It's like, oh, oh, I'm so itching to play right now. Um, <laughs> and he, he's, he's, he is a very hyperactive type of ADHD. Oh, um, yeah, okay. And so his interests are quite hyperactive and impulsive as well. So he switches between instruments a lot, and just yeah, one day we'll get a bug for another instrument, and will convince one of us to get him access to an instrument and then that's it. He'll t- like, oh, my God. Um, so, so far he started on cello and then violin um, and comes in and out of violin, swaps between violin and cello, viola. Yeah. Um, he got a viola for his – he begged for a viola for his 10th birthday. Oh. like – what can I say? Okay. That's so wholesome. It's oh. so gorgeous. So we got him a viola. Oh. That was in November. And then I think it was by April he did his grade two Amy B exam and got an A plus as well. Oh, wow. um, it was just like so into this viola. He just like goes nuts on it. Um, <laughs> like, oh, it was it like 5 a.m. every morning playing oh, wow. something and he will he he's a self-starter now so he starts himself he seeks out music so he'll go on the internet and look oh. stuff and screenshot it and print it and <laughs> <laughs> so he can play all these things um he he oh goodness the latest one um <laughs> I, um, in saying this, I want to I want to preface it by saying, music education is so excellent, and everyone should learn an instrument, and we should never discourage children from yes. learning music. Um, but holy moly, the latest one has been the flute. Oh wow! Um, and oh, <laughs> there's just like there's there's such thing as too much flute. <laughs> It's similar to too much violin, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, one day, one day it got too much. It was a very, very deep hyperfixation. It mm. was, it was twelve hours, it was seven a.m. to seven p.m., and we oh, had to wow. drag him away a number of times. Um, so, like, yeah, he's at the other point, other end of the spectrum now, where we have to be telling him to stop because it can't be good for him. It can't be good for the neighbours. Can't like, they're like, what's going on at the moment? What on earth is that noise? It's <laughs> been going for twelve hours. Oh my goodness! But it's it's so it's so wholesome though. Like it's, he's so it's excited. So gorgeous. Does he compose at all as well? Um, not formally as such, but mm. he's like had me write down tunes from before. And oh. When he was little, he wrote an Easter song. Oh, like, that's so cute. <laughs> very, very cute. Because I, I, I feel like I know, well, because I compose quite a bit and I I thought that I wasn't meant to do composition because my, my little brother, um, I wouldn't call him so little anymore. He's actually 19. Um, <laughs> but he's, um, 
he was really great composer um and he still is he still does a lot of it but it's more on ableton and electronic stuff he's very funky in that sort of thing very cool. um, on sort of another note one of the most satisfying i'm not sure if this is the same thing for you but mm-hmm. one of the most satisfying things about like doing performances and i think why i gravitate towards performance so much um no matter sort of what like level I've been at is because of that sort of like, you know, you've been through the hard yards to get there and Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. that you've done all that work to get there and then you get to present it finally. And it's like, here it is. I get to present like the final artwork and, you know, give it, give it to you with like everything that I can. And, you know, that's the best thing I I find, even if it doesn't go well, it's like, you know, you've done it already. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh man. Okay. So my personal experiences with that, I'm at that point now where like when I'm, when I've worked on something and I'm really passionate about a piece or a performance or something, I can't wait to share it. And I just, yeah. when I do, it feels so good. And it's like, ah, oh, there it is, everybody. There you go. Um, but it, it has been all of this hard work over the last yeah. like, 20 years to get to that point where to enjoy it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Up until then, it's just been like focus, anxiety. Focus. Yeah. Don't screw it up. Um, and it's just the you know the wrong, uh, the word wrong, the wrong motivations for performance. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got to you're on stage for perfection, and I wonder what everyone's thinking about this. Look, all the things that just don't matter at all. But it yeah. should be about here. Look at all the things I've prepared. I've worked so hard on it you know, enjoy it. I'm yeah. enjoying it. And yeah, I think that's where where the performer experience should always be going to. Yeah. I I also yeah, I definitely relate to that in terms of I have spent so much time being like, oh, am I is it worthwhile for me to pursue a career in performance particularly because there is not a lot in terms of work for viola players and there are a lot of wonderful viola players and I sort of a lot of sometimes when I get up to perform I'm like oh this is probably very subpar to a lot of the people that are performing before me and then I'm you know but I I guess like the very um I'll use I'll use my um I'll use my good friend Izzy Watson as an example um because I love her lots and lots. Um, I was sort of, I started my, I started my degree when she was in her second year. And Mm -hmm. then last year I went to her final recital and she just like, I, I didn't think someone could like, you know, when someone goes through that initial stage of like drastic improvement and they just get really great at their instrument really quickly. Um, And I think she might not feel the same way, but I feel like she just had this drastic improvement and then it happened again and then it happened again. And something, I think it's just because she's very analytical, but as well, like I got to her 
like end of year recital and she played Brooke violin concerto Ah, and I and when she played the second movement something about it was just like the emotions of like oh my gosh she's worked so hard but also something about it was just like so beautiful that I just started weeping in the middle of the oh. I was like, oh my gosh, Izzy, that was beautiful. Like, and you've worked so hard and, you know, it's just like that satisfaction of, you know, someone just like, like I, I remember when I started, um, when I started playing viola, my viola teacher at the time was like, um, we were playing Hindemith and she was like, this word means catharsis and sort of like explained what catharsis means to me. And I was like, oh, that's what I want in my viola playing. Like that's one thing that I want in my playing. And I think I had it so much when I was in high school because I didn't really care too much about what, about, you know, oh, it's my Debo division okay? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, is my intonation okay? Is my shifting a little bit too slurpy right now? Um, And like, you know, I, I think I've reached a point now where I'm like, okay, I can obviously combine those and, you know, catharsis is such a big thing, but like, just like the pure pureness of, you know, being able to present it to an audience with that freedom um, Mm. is really satisfying and it doesn't happen as often as I'd like it to obviously because it's sort of like you know it's it's sort of like a rare thing that happens at times but you know I always I think I come back to performing for that reason especially I'm like I just want I want the freedom in my playing and that has happened uh, a lot of times through my degree where I feel like I've just hit milestones in my playing and that's been really rewarding besides like the points of like obvious like I've had moments of like terrible performance anxiety which is um like me but also um I just get very stuck in my head about things Uh Uh, I'm very stuck on one thing I found for a while I just would only be able to think about one thing when I was playing in front of people and I would just be like okay, we're thinking about the bow today. And then I just get stuck (laughs) on the bow. And then my teacher would be like, "Um, your intonation was like out the window. And I was like, I was focusing so much on my bow. (laughs) And then then it would be like the opposite. And, you know, it's – that's a really good thing that my teacher always says is like, you know, I feel sometimes like I, there'd be times, so many times where I thought I'd done rubbish performances and she'd be like, that was beautiful. That was amazing. And I was like, I feel rubbish. And she always was like, yeah, how you're feeling about how you how you played. It's not a good indicator of how you actually played to your audience yeah which is yeah. really which is really stuck with me because like I just need to like you know it's a really just like a good it's a good piece of advice I find it's yeah profound information <laughs> it, it truly is it is um, I, I have oh my goodness I have so much to say on that particular topic as well like just oh just the perspective um oh she's she's so that was patricia right yes it was yep. yeah she's she, oh nail on the head with that um um 
uh, how do I put it all into words? Okay, so um, what I have, what I know now in my practice mm. that I didn't know in the past and um, was probably my biggest saboteur to be, to be really frank about it, was perspective um, mm. and good perspective, bad perspective, both, all of it. It's um, I know now to set external means of measurement. Yeah. Um, and in both like the way I, the overall feeling of a performance perhaps, like, you know, you have your feelings in the moment on stage mm-hmm. and they're all, you know, they're all very valid but they're not necessarily an indicator of how you actually went. So yeah, of course, maybe step back from it for a while and then go back and watch a record, watch a video of it or or record it so that you can, when, you know, all of those big emotions have kind of calmed down, you can go back more rationally and see it from an audience perspective, Mm. which is completely different. Um, But then like in the day to day practice, um, I've just, I've learned to flip all perspective at all times because I can't trust, I know this now, I can't trust um, what I think is really happening in the moment. And yeah. that's a really, really good thing to to know that now <laughs> because I would play something and go, the rhythm was great. I'm really good at rhythm and I'm really good at keeping the beat. Um, I know that that was fine. I don't need to practice that. Um, when really, even if I think I did an A-plus job, I probably should be putting in an external means for measurement, a.k.a. a metronome, yeah. just to check, to see how accurate I really was. Um, yeah. <laughs> I learned I can't trust that or my intonation was okay. Like, <laughs> and then you listen to a yeah. recording and go, oh. Or you go to the oh. tuna and you're like, oh, yeah. It's like over on over on the other end and you're like, oh, dear. Or it comes up with an accidental and you're like, oh. Oh, no, that's oh. not where I want it to be. Oh, um, no. Um, so, like, that, knowing those things and knowing that I need – external measurements of perspective um, has shaped how I practice now. So I always start with that before getting in to try and perfect a thing. So um, say, you know, each piece is start with something different, but say like I'm working on the intonation of something there, I'll be like, okay, going to work out some fingerings and stuff to help me you know, land as, as as accurately as I can. Now, how am I going to practice this with external measurements? So mm-hmm. like I'll put on a drone and then if it's feeling good but some things I'm still unsure of, change the drone to the dominant or something. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, this, that's a really interesting thing to do, to feel it from that perspective. That's and then, cool. yeah, you know, double stops with open strings and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then going and doing like a, a self-assessment to see how you go. So record it, 
and listen to it and and kind of start that reflection process again and say, all right, this, you know, diagnostic assessment, I need to work more on blah, blah, blah. And then you go back and you mm. find something new, you know, another means for um, perspective and, yeah, really driving all those repetitions with they're, they're kind of like building your own supports to bolster up the thing that you yeah. want to work on. So um, I know that I need external support for um, my intonation. So <laughs> cello drone A on YouTube. Get oh, that. aren't yeah. they so good? <laughs> Whoever put those up, legend. They should. Yeah. They should have all the all the money and the treats in the world. <laughs> they should. They should. You know, like I, I think of the seven million views that one of those has had. About six million of them are mine, and I'll keep clicking. Yeah. Uh, be like, take my money. <laughs> I remember um, my one of my friends from uni told me about the um, the tuning CD on Spotify, and it's oh, and it's yeah. and it's. I, I don't exactly like the sound that it makes, but the one thing about the tuning CD I find is that it goes by like. It's one's like four forty and the other is four four one and I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. such a nerdy thing for me to do, but it's uh, very funny. Um, another yeah. thing I remember, um, I saw on uh, a harpist named Emily Granger. I don't know if you know her. Um, she's yeah. a wonderful harp player. Um. I met her at National Music Camp. Um, she's really cool, though, because one of the tips that she had um, on playing Mozart, for example, was if you get up, like, you look up, like, 80 BPM drum beat on YouTube. And it's so interesting because she says that it, like, is really good for, like, replicating, like, when you're playing with an orchestra. It's good for, like, trying to hear the other parts. And so I've applied that to, like, a lot of my practice, mm-hmm. in terms of like practicing stuff with a metronome. I feel like I freak out a lot less when there's like in the background. <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's um, such, such a good piece of advice. I, yes. I I remember I heard it. I was like, oh, this is great. It's so cool. <laughs> and you know, like that's even like it's so much better than a metronome. Because yeah. it will have subdivisions in there as well. It will, so, yeah. Whoa, that's so cool. Oh, I have so many ideas. <laughs> um, like, I, I don't know what your experiences are with rhythm and beat keeping and those things. I, I don't know. I feel like my rhythm's been pretty good and my beat keeping's been pretty good over the years. But I have a number of students um, that uh diagnosed ADHD and they come to me for specific like for the specific type of understanding um and some of the ones some of those students they um struggle a lot with keeping the beat and, I do too <laughs> yeah and playing in time um and that that like um, it's there's a lot of research into it um with ADHD and predicting those patterns so that makes a lot of sense um and I was just thinking oh my goodness those students would do so much better to a drum beat than to a metronome it helps a lot and I find I am the same I've had I've had um 
adjudicators and conductors at times tell me that I am like, I just constantly am falling behind a beat or I just don't understand where it sits. And yeah. that is the most frustrating thing. Like I'm told so often, have we practiced that with a metronome? I'm like, yes, I actually have. And yeah. I practice it quite a lot. And usually it just takes like um, doing it in a different way, feeling it like, you know, sometimes I can get into a trap of like something's in six, eight and I can feel it just in six, eight or like, or I'm feeling it in like, you know, the wrong way or like in like, you know, semi quavers or something. And that, my teacher's like, that's not how you really want to be doing it. Um, yeah. It might be easier if you feel it this way. Um, and like, I found that, you know, I, really have to internalize the meter and like I find that I remember my brother's piano teacher who is a also a mentor of mine um she was like what if we um like walk around the room and like you know just like feel feel the meter essentially and that was really really helpful for me in terms of just understanding that I don't exactly have an internalized sense of meter, but once uh-huh. I get it, I can understand it. And that's, I I had that realization some point last year and I was just like, whoa, I bought, um, what was it? Uh, I bought a Soundbrenner metronome. I was going to ask you about those. Yes. They're really cool, although mine is currently not working, oh. <laughs> which is sad, but I really like it. It's really cool, although if you put it on your bowing arm, it's a little <laughs> bit weird. <laughs> yeah. But, like, every, like it's really yeah. – it works really well for me. Like, it just – I felt like I was so in time all the time after that. Yeah. Um. Cause You're, I like, just, feeling it physically. Yeah, yeah. Or nice. even, like, the best, like, even, like, the replacement for it is just, like, walking around the room while the metronome's on or something. It's just mm-hmm. is really good to sort of, like, get it get it inside your head and it's it's just interesting the science behind why that happens with ADHD. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, fascinating stuff because I remember I read Super about it. And it's and I was like, oh, this makes so much sense as to why I don't understand where meter is coming from. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so so interesting. Um, and in saying that, I really like polyrhythms. I think they're one of my favorite <laughs> things. So that is a fascinating addition to that because I don't like playing them that much. But once I get them right, it's fun. <laughs> but I like writing yeah. them. <laughs> That's really interesting because, like, the the initial instinct would be to think, oh, if you've worked so hard on this thing and you haven't, you know, it, it hasn't been a, the most positive experience the whole way through, you would probably hate polyrhythms. Um, <laughs> but now you're, you're drawn to them. I I think it was um, – I think it was I, – I remember I did – a course with Rob Davidson and he was um of course since he's an amazing composer he was like this is how you understand polyrhythms and basically we went through like all of these patterns and like he went for a very visual and obviously because we were like clapping at ourselves and like doing the polyrhythms like three against four and I think one of them was like three four not four against five 
something else, three against two. And uh-huh. being able to do it and like have like the rhythm there for myself, it took a bit. But mm-hmm. once I got it, I got it and I was obsessed. And I was like, can I do five against four? Let's look up, <laughs> let's look up Steve Wright's clapping. <laughs> like it's so, it's, it's, I just loved it. It was so fun. I'm like, yeah. I feel, would feel very mean writing this into a piece of music. But I also do like, do but like it would be it. fun. It would be fun. <laughs> I had a friend write one into a piece last year that I played, um, my friend Demi, and she, it was really cool, really, really cool, but I just struggled to get it. And this is an example of me not getting rhythm. Um, I just struggled to get it in the first instance. And then once she explained to me, she's like, oh, the first violin has that, the beginning of it and then the cello has the end of it and I was like one that is so smart and two you're just like helping me out in like and it was really satisfying and I was like yeah we can rely on Sophia to have the rhythm correct yeah, <laughs> <Finally>. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah I, I was like that. oh my god finally can be relied on to keep meter um uh but yeah, thanks so much for coming on. It's been oh, that's great all right. <laughs> yeah, it's been so good. Thank you. That's okay.